Good morning, church. Do it again. Good morning, church. I need you to stand up because I got to get out of this emotional place I'm in right now. We're going to do a little bit of a meathead thing that we did in football. And I'm going to have you do a little bit of a war cry. And then I'm going to have you break down with me. So it's going to go like this. We're going to go up and go, I'm going to yell Brown Croft. And then we're going to go, we got to do a stomp with it. All right. This is meathead stuff. This is community building material right here. All right. So on me, let's do this. That sucked. It's got to be loud. It's got to be intense. It's got to be purposeful. Here we go. One more time. Better. Sit down. Come on, baby. That's what we need. I got to. Had to get my head out of that place. I'm like, I go back, and he starts bringing that intensity back in, and it's it's powerful. But I'm thankful to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pastor Rob and your whole staff for bringing me in. in. Happy Father's Day. You guys have a gosh dang car show and hot dogs, and you can't put the chubby kid in front of the hot dogs. That's been a fight my whole life. All right, I was the fat kid stuffed in a bag of Doritos when I was growing up. Okay, that was a lot of confusing times, but that was my best friend. Food. So, <laughs> but it was, it was funny how it carried on in my life. So one of my favorite stories is in uh, 2006-ish when I'm with the Dallas Cowboys and we, we have one of these rookie dinners. Some of you guys might have heard these. And uh, what we do is you get a new guy on the team and he's got to pay for dinner, right? So we got this new fourth round draft pick, Doug Free. And I don't know about you guys, but as a college kid coming out, I'm going to have those pockets as deep as possible so I can not touch that money, right? And uh, so this is an offensive line, tight ends, running back, dinner. And what we do is we go out to this swank steakhouse in Dallas. You know, like one of those nice mahogany wood. Is mahogany a wood? I'm not really sure. Because I'm like, okay. <laughs> Smells of rich mahogany. And we go in there, and this is about 20,000 pounds of guys right now. We've got 20 guys walk, tromping through this place like elephants just, just stomping through this place. And everybody's realizing what's going on. Word spreads fast. So everybody else in the restaurant, they're like, all right, let's shove our orders in right now so we've got food left over. <laughs> and uh, they put us in this side room because they know we're a bunch of big, dumb animals, and we like to have a good time. So we got this room, and we're in this in this side room in this, in this fancy restaurant, and we got this big, long, kind of rectangular table. And these guys around the table, we got Marco Rivera, who's our team leader at the time. Marco Rivera, Flozell Adams, who's the only guy to ever make me feel small, and I still hate him for it. It's, not, it's good hate. You know what I'm talking about. Good hate. But uh, Andre Gerard, who's usually passed out and has got his third bowl of soup all over him. And, you know, Marion Barber, Julius Jones. Mark Colombo, Jason Witten, we got a bunch of decent names in this room right now. And so it was funny, we go through this dinner, we have a ton of steak, but a nice lobster, and there's a giant mess on the table, and at the end, the bill comes, the waiter brings it to Marco Rivera right over here, and it's for $8,000. Oh, yeah. Right? So Marco's sitting over here, he's, all right, Doug. He goes, uh, we got some cash. We want to help you out with this. This is eight bones. He goes, but you're going to have to do something for us. He says, he's, all right, yeah, whatever. I'll do it. Okay. Help me out. I don't want to pay eight grand. He goes, all right. And he kind of looks around the table for a second. 
He goes, all right, you see all these leftover butter containers? You act like you know what's going on. He goes, I know you do. Come on. He goes, all right, I want you to take this glass, this empty glass right here. I'm going to fill it up with all this leftover melted butter, and you got to chug that for us to help. We do some of the grossest things. This is a locker room mentality, right? So we get this going. We dump them all in, dump them all in. We get a chant going. We do the countdown. We do the whole meathead stupid thing. We're like, all right, here we go. Three, two, one, chug, chug. And he starts slamming this thing back. And by this time, all the waiters and waitresses had come into the room, and this is jam-packed. Nobody's getting served outside. This is awesome, right? This is the time you'd want to be a waiter or something. I'm like, I want to see this. But he's slamming this thing back. The problem is Jason Witten's sitting right next to him. He's got a weak gut. So, so, so he starts making these really uncomfortable sounds. Right? And the problem is that causes a chain reaction with Doug. So he's halfway through this melted butter that everybody's been dipping their stuff into and he this chain reaction hits him and all of a sudden one thing leads to another and butter spews out both nostrils across the table you can't make this stuff up man this is it's ridiculous you know but the thing about that room of guys was to me that was my family those guys were my brothers and i had no idea at the time but God had placed me in a place that I needed to be to grow with a group of men that I needed to be around to prepare me for a battle that was coming that I had no idea was down the road. So he put me in this family of guys to gain character, to go through these battles in a short period of time, to go through this growth period in my life, to learn how to work with a team, to learn how to work with, learn to grow with coaches, the people who could speak into my life, learn how to go through this whole thing to bring me out of that fat kid, that chubby kid stage who was stuck in a bag of chips, who wouldn't say anything to anybody, to grow me to a point where I could have a voice, and I could have a body, and I could have an impact. And I could be standing here to you guys and talking right now. And the hard thing about that time was after that, I left Dallas and I went to Miami with the Dolphins, and this was a Thursday night game. I'm starting at center against Chicago Bears, and we get ready to call 135X screen left, and on my job, I got to punch this 300-pound nose tackle. I got to get him upfield and work up to the Mike linebacker, who's Brian Urlacher at the time. Yeah, he's pretty legit, all right? <laughs> so we do this. We, we get the play going. It's all right, blue 80, blue 80, set, hut, snap, punch. I get up, boom. That's when everything went black. Laughing over here, man. Come on. Everything goes black right there. And the next thing I wake up is wake up to is our head trainer slapping me in the head. Wake up, Proc, wake up, Proc. Which is not concussion protocol anymore. Okay. It's not how we do it anymore. It might be liable for something, but he's waking me up. Wake up, Proc, wake up. And I wake up. Finally come to and realize I couldn't use my left leg. That's when you guys saw I ruptured my patella tendon, ripped half the kneecap, and it pulled it up into the top of my leg, into my quad. And right there was the end of my NFL career. Right there, that family, those brothers that I had, 
was gone. That locker room was my community. That was my identity. That's what I was. I was a football player. That's the coaches that spoke into my life. That's where they were at. That's where my identity was held. And that's what I want to talk to you guys today. It's about the identity and our true identity where it's in Christ and not in the things of this world where so many times we get drawn in to the enemy's lure that everything we do is in our job and these outside factors in our life. That all that we invest in in our life is, is really what's reciprocated on the other end is what we determine our value. And that's what I thought football was. I grew up playing football. That's what my identity, I had no idea where I was going, but I had coaches feeding into my life telling me, I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to school, but I'm getting a scholarship, thank goodness. I don't know if I was gonna, what I was going to do past school, but I played in the NFL, thank goodness. I had some more direction. And then when that got cut out, I'm like, who the heck am I? I'm that chubby kid right back in a bag of chips trying to figure out where I'm going. And so many of us are faced with that because we go into a job and it could be a transition. We might get fired or something like that or we might go through a relationship or get a divorce or something that hits us really hard and now we're sitting there stuck with this question of who, I, who am I, what am I supposed to be doing? I have no idea. And now I'm freaking out and I'm grabbing onto whatever's coming at me next. And it's hard. And I want to take this into Exodus here in 310, and I'll give you a little context into what's going on. So this is about Moses. And so you guys know the story about Moses a little bit. He's got an identity crisis himself. This guy's born Jewish, raised an Egyptian in Egypt by the Pharaoh's daughter, basically the lap of luxury. I mean, you think, all right, today's standards, you're like, that's right. I'm in the penthouse, baby. Let's go. You know? And so, but he has this whole conflict going on in his head. I'm like, this is not who I am. I'm technically, I'm identifying as Egyptian, but that's not who I was born as. And so now I have this struggle, so I'm just going to run away. So he runs away, he gets married, and he's tending to his father-in-law's sheep on some holy ground, hillside, mountaintop, all of a sudden, and he comes across the burning bush. You guys know, which is insane to think about, and God talks to him through this burning bush. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, what if that happened today? You know, would he be hold, pulling out, like, his inter, Instagram or something? I mean, like, hashtag, y'all not going to believe this. <laughs> hold on. God, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Been like, <laughs> hold on, I got a wave at this live feed right now. <laughs> that's how I have a feeling it was going to go. It was good. It was crazy. But anyways, he sees God at this burning bush, and that's where we're at right now. So he's kind of avoiding where he came from. What's up? And we're going this to 3.10 right now. God is speaking to him to the burning bush. And this is what God is telling him to do. Come, talking to Moses. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So at this time, God's people are enslaved by the Pharaoh and the Egyptian reign. And God's telling him right now, I need you to go back. I need you to save my people. I don't know about you guys, but that's a big call. I was like, just, why don't you just tell me to throw that tank across the parking lot while I'm at it, right? That's pretty massive. And what's funny is this next response from Moses and how he reacts to it, it goes like this. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, or bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
funny how we cut ourselves down like that so easy. It's funny how we get a calling from God, we run away from it so easy, something that freaks us out, right? Like, I'm not qualified for that. Who am I to do that? That's not my field of work. Well, we know that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. But how often do we bat that down? Like, if I were to ask anybody to come up here right now, share your testimony on stage in front of the crowd, who would do this? I got one, one back there. You kind of, you're like, that's not me. That's, that's not, uh, yeah, we had two hands. But, it, but I guarantee your story is power, powerful enough to move somebody else's. And why wouldn't we do that? If God called us and urged us or the Spirit moved us in a way to do something, why wouldn't we take a faithful step to do it? But instead, we immediately disqualify ourselves and say we're not made for that. That's not us. That's too big for me. Okay? This is the best part. We get down here in 12, and then God says to Moses, in his doubtful thought process right now that's going on, God says, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I think that's pretty powerful. I don't know about you guys, but I think like in a moment like that, where you're like God's talking to you, somebody's telling you something like that, that's pretty pump you up status right there. I had this time in 2000. Nine, I'm with the Cowboys, so I was a backup swing guard center for the most time. Had a lot of playing time, started most of 2008 at left guard. 2009, I had a big price tag on my head, and they were bringing in guard, center, guard, center, guard, center, trying to beat me out, trying to beat me out, trying to beat me out. I kept bringing, it's a hard relationship to have. When you and me are sitting here like, we're cool, hey coach, I love you, you love me too, by the way, you're going to bring in this person to compete against me. I'm just going to make sure you're the right guy. That's a hard dynamic to deal with, right? 2009, this is happening. The whole time, they're trying to replace me a ton. I'm beating guys out. It's great. I'm beating them out, beating them out. But this is exhausting. This is like being at work and you have a new boss every single year and you got to reprove yourself, reprove yourself, reprove, recommit yourself. You know, like, for real? Again? Have I, my background not proof enough that what I'm, or a resume not proof enough for you? Well, we're stuck in this in 2009. So I come out on the practice field one day, getting ready for practice, and here comes this new guy. Runs right past me. That's what I feel like. Here we go again. And Jason Witten, character guy, man, he comes up to me and he goes, looks at the other guy who just ran past. He goes, I'm trying to get rid of you, Proc. Yeah, I know. I think he could see that in me. Because he's a faithful guy, too. And he goes, I got your back. And he walks off. Goes back to his drill. I think of a moment like that. You ever had a friend? Think of a time where you had a friend, where you've been in a struggle or a battle of your own, and he says, I got your back. Now I'd go a little further and think about Maybe you guys think about a dad who said that in your life, and we might have been hurt by a dad or whatever, might be in a struggling relationship, but you've ever had a dad figure, someone like that, who spoke into your life and said, I got your back. We're doing this together. Then I think of a moment like Moses, where we're getting a calling beyond where we're, we think we're at in this current moment, 
and the God of the universe tells you, I'm with you. I got your back. That's what's so powerful about this right now. That's what's so powerful. You can think about a time when somebody's done that, and then the guy who gave up his own life for you is telling you right now, I'm with you. I'm walking through this pain. I'm not giving you this calling, just saying, good luck, kid. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm sending you out, but I'm going to be with you. I'm sending my spirit with you because I know what's ahead of you, and I'm going to hold your hand walking through this thing. You better believe you're going to come out a whole lot bigger. And this is what we run into. This is what I want to talk about is that identity moment where he's trying to call us to a place where we don't know where we're going. Okay, he's trying to call us to a place where we don't know where we're supposed to be, and we discount it right away, and we slap it down like we know what we're talking about. But the thing is, is you dictate how much God you have in your life. The thing is, is you can keep him in a box on Sunday morning if you want. You keep him right there. Stay there, right, right there, God, I'm going to go take care of my job, do whatever I got to do. Meanwhile, I'll let the enemy sneak into my household getting my marriage, getting my family, getting my job, getting that relationship between me and my boss. You know, you keep him in that box. You limit him to a certain amount. And he's bigger. He can do all kinds of crazy things. But I'm telling you, he's calling to you, calling to you right now, trying to get you to a place where your identity is in sync with him so you can be the impact and the leader in this place where you're sitting right now. You dictate how much God you have in your life. So how are we going to do this? So I want to say a, couple, a few things. When you let him speak into your life and you start implementing him into a daily routine, into a daily activity where you're reading your scripture, you're like, all right, maybe I'll talk to God a little bit. Maybe I'll start praying at the table a little more with my family. You start implementing some of those things, just faithful steps. He'll start doing things and showing up in different ways. And, what, and to me, I talk about the gains because I'm a weight room dummy and the gains in your life, right? But number one, the first thing I think you get is you gain conviction. And here in Hebrews 11, 24 through 25, it says, by faith, I got it on my notes right here, so it looks like I'm reading it from my Bible. But by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. I love that last part. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What does that mean? I, that I know when I, my identity is in line with God that I'd rather sit in the dirt with my family happy than sit in the penthouse while the enemy's working on my marriage. I'd rather roll around in the mud with my kids having a great time while I'm making a ton of money up in this penthouse while they're suffering depression and not knowing who their dad or their mom is. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about here right now. And when you listen to God in that, he will give you those whispers and those moments from the Spirit where he says, I got to be with my kid. I got to be with my, this whoever relationship he's calling you to be with, right? That calling like Moses to go save his people. You're saving your own kids. I hear you. I hear that baby right now. That's a beautiful cry. But he's calling you to be to that place, and you have the conviction enough to say, I don't need that because I know where I'm going is following God, and I might not know where, what step I'm taking the whole time, but I'm going to be behind him, and I'm going to lead my family to that same place. He's going to put you on that mountaintop. Number two, you gain, you gain courage. This is a serious one for me. 
because I was that chubby kid growing up and I was freaked out all the time to do things. But I had enough coaches that shoved me into the spot to get me moving. And I think it's stuff like that. You know, there was a time Bill Parcells came up to me, the Hall of Fame coach, here with the Giants for a while and the Jets, I think, maybe too. But he, uh, he came up to me and says, all right, Proc, you're doing really well in practice. You're going to get a shot to play this week. I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, that's right. right. But all of a sudden, you get that freaked out lightning bolt of fear down your back. You're like, and your first response is like, no, 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 no. I've seen those guys on the playing field. Meanwhile, I proved myself over and over again, but in that moment, I shoved myself into that place of fear where God wants me to be, and I go out and have a heck of a game and end up playing a whole lot of games for the Cal Dallas Cowboys and go to the Miami Dolphins and play six years in the NFL. I'm telling, when, telling you, in those times, he's trying to call you, when he's trying to tell you, I want you to say I love you to your wife, and you might not get the same response that you thought you were going to get in your head, He's telling you to do it again and again and again, no matter how freaked out you might be. The first time you're called to pray, I remember the first time I was called to pray with my, on, on our knees with my wife. I had this picture where I was supposed to be praying at the ottoman of the chair in our bedroom, and it freaked me out, and I dismissed it immediately, and I just got home and blurted it out. I'm like, babe, I saw this in my head. We're supposed to pray on our knees and read our Bible. So he's like, all right, what do you want? To, let's do this. And so we did it. But in that moment, our relationship grows that much more. And it's powerful, man. It's crazy. The third thing, the most important thing you guys gain, when you listen to God talking to you is Christ. I finished football. I got that call from mom. We used to call Evan, my nephew, you called him Big E. He had these big old fat cheeks. <laughs> And mom called me and said, Biggie's got cancer. That was hard, man. Biggie World just got punched in the face. Then at the same moment, in the same time frame, when he's doing this, he's in this fight and in this battle, we have our baby girl, Grace. And the first time they met was that St. Jude, who still got this picture of him. They're laying on their backs, both by their sides, the babies, right? So Grace is sitting there batting them like planes. There's not even knowing what's going on, but she's batting them in the face. And he's looking at her side eye. <laughs> Who's this chick and why is she next to me right now? <laughs> but it was hard, man. It was not long before his second birthday. I had to watch my son, or watch my brother and his wife lose their only son. So I was in a bad place. My brother and I, we went, that, we went there together. We were in a bad place. We got this perfect gift in my daughter. We got this perfect, beautiful baby. But at the same time, you take this perfect boy. It was such a battle, a struggle for me. I, my identity was in this fighting place already where I'd been dismissed from football. I didn't know where. And then you got to pile this on top of it where you got to take away my brother's son, my best friend's son. Sitting there thinking, screw you, God. I didn't want anybody. I didn't want any of him. And I had a friend ask me one time, he said, how's your relationship with God? I said, I don't need him in my life. And the cool thing about that is when somebody has the heart of Christ, they respond differently. Thank God he did. 
So sitting there in my own hate right there when he asked me that moment, and he goes, I, I think he understands that. <laughs> That'll tweak you a little different. <laughs> right. But I was in this moment where I do that, and then we walk to church. We get this invite to church, and he gives me a vision. And he punches me right in the face. It says, I'm here with you. Recognize that I'm walking through this with you right now. And I know it's painful right now. I know it's crazy and it feels awful. It doesn't take away from it. But I'm walking through this for you. I'm not walking through this with you right now. And I have a much bigger calling to give to you when you come out on the other side of that lake. I'm telling you guys, I was in a bad place. I'm in a whole different place right now. I want to let you guys know that he's there with you. The Spirit's here with us right now. And he's put a hedge of protection over you right now, watching over your life, building you up. Like David does to Goliath, he says, hold on, I've killed the lion and the bear. Watch me kill this uncircumcised Philistine right now. That's what he's prepping you for. That's what God's prepping you for. And when you receive Christ, you're unstoppable, baby. I'm telling you, you're powerful beyond any measure that you could ever imagine. And that's what I want to do with you guys today. I want to give you a challenge to take the next step to do that. Because right now, we're not just about words. I, mean, I grew up in a locker room, fellas. You know what I'm saying? We don't just talk and end it out and go, ah, that's cool, it was a great motivational speech, and walk off the stage. We don't do that. We end with action. So when we get a good, a good feeling, we get an urge by the Spirit, and urged by God to move in our life, we take action and move in a way we've never done before. So I want to pray for you guys right now, and I'm going to issue a challenge a little bit, okay? So I want you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes, I want to pray for a specific group of people right now. If you're a person who's come here today, and you've gone through that battle, you're going through that fight right now. I want you to know he's with you. If you're a person that's hitting that wall after wall, and the mountain, in the face of that adversity, and you, something that you can't stand to go up against, he's with you. And if you're a person today who's never given their life to Christ, and you just kind of showed up brand new, and you're not sure what's going on, there's things going on in your life, maybe you're not living up to the potential you think you should be living up to, you say, I feel the Spirit talking to me. I feel like God's telling me I should be doing something right now, but I've never given myself to Christ. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. I want you to say these under your, under your breath, in your own head, however you want to say it, but I want you to repeat these words after me. Father, come into my life. I want to be the person that you've called me to be, the person that you're calling me to be for my family, for the people at my work, for the people in my church, for the people that are surrounding me right now. I want to be that for you. And I want to commit my life to Christ, to Jesus, the one who gave his life for me, 
the best friend who gave his life for me, who stepped in front of the bullet, who stepped in front of the truck and said, I'll take it because I'm with you and I got your back. I want to receive Christ today. And if you were for somebody who said that prayer, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if you said that prayer, would you raise your hand for me, please? Good. That's good. If you raise that, if you said that prayer, just raise your hand just a little bit for me, please. There's a second group of people I want to pray for. And you might have given your life to Christ. You might have given your life at some point and recommitted to Christ, but you're struggling where you're at. You're not sure where you're at in your identity, but you're just sitting on the sideline for some reason. You say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Lord. You're my God. You're my Savior. But I'm just hanging out in this corner right now, sitting in my chair, and I'm not activated in my faith in you. I want to pray for those people right now. And if you feel like you're that person, you need to get in the game. I want you to pray with me right now. Father, I ask you to bless your sheep. Father, I ask you to bless the people that have given their life to you but are unsure how to use their faith for you in their life going right now. I pray that they have the conviction in their voice and the courage in their bodies that they can walk into that plan that you have for them and they can go to work and share their faith. They can go to church and share their story. They can go to their family and pray with them. They can go outside of these church walls and they can show people that they have the heart of Christ and walk it out like you've called them. Father, I want to pray over Browncroft. I want to pray over the people here. I'm so thankful for their pastor and leadership here and for the movement that's happening and the construction that's going on right now that's causing growth, that causes us to break down walls, to make things new like you do. I pray for a hedge of protection around them, that you will keep them safe, you will help them to be convicted in everything that they walk through, and they'll walk out with a higher chest and a higher voice and a higher place, know that they're looking up to you and they're guided by the all-supreme God. Jesus, I thank you for everything you've given us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Corey.